Hello, and welcome to the Christwalk Church Podcast. What's up, Christwalk? How's everybody doing today? It's going to be a good day. Good day. I'm so excited for this message that my son is right here on the front row, front and center. Some of you that were here last week, you've been keeping up with this message series. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Others of you are getting ready to find out. So let's all just buckle our seatbelts and get ready for what is about to come. If you have uh, your Bible or you've got a smart device, I want to encourage you to turn with me, swipe with me to um, the New Testament. That's that second big chunk of Scripture uh, second big chunk of the Bible. We're going to go about a third of the way into the book of 1 Corinthians. This is Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And we're going um, to land in chapter 7 in just a moment. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So today we're in the last, the, the third and final part of a series that we're calling Some Assembly Required, where we've been taking a look at the building blocks of marriage through the lens of what the Bible communicates on the subject. Now, I believe that if we can, one, discover what these building blocks are and then implement them into our marriage relationships in the right order and get them into the right place that you and I, those of us that are married, we can have the marriage that we've always dreamed of. For the first two weeks of this series, we spent some time in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, where he wrote to the Ephesians, and particularly chapter 5, where he talks about the marriage relationship in great detail. And and in the first week of our series, we looked at the first part of Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul encourages the believers in Ephesus to live a life that is in the light of Jesus Christ. In other words, if, if God is not first in our life, then he can't be first in our marriages. We talked about this idea that a healthy we starts with a healthy me. And then last week, we looked at the second part, the the second half of Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul outlines the roles of the husband and wife within the marriage relationship. And these roles are based on mutual submission of the husband to the spouse, or the husband to the wife, and the wife to the husband. And that it's not about couples fighting with each other for what they want in their marriage, but rather it's about couples fighting for each other so that they can have their needs fulfilled, they can meet and fulfill the needs of their partner, and they can have the best marriage ever. And today in our third and final installment of Some Assembly Required, I'd like to close out by talking about intimacy. Intimacy. Now, intimacy defined, when you go to the dictionary and you look up intimacy, is anyone else's mouth really dry? Because mine is right now. I'm just going to stop and take a drink. My wife is nervous up here on the front row wondering what I'm going to say. Intimacy, when you go to the dictionary, it is defined as association, knowledge, or understanding arising from close personal connection or familiar experience. 
So intimacy is association, knowledge, or understanding arising from close personal connection or familiar experience. And, and God designed the marriage relationship from the very beginning to be one of intimacy. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter two, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible when God is creating and God creates man. And then this is what happens. Every, every single time God created something, he said, it is good. It is good. It is good. And then God created man and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, it is not good for man to be by himself because in that state, he lacks intimacy. He is unable to have intimacy in that state. So he says, I will make a helper or one to come alongside of man so that together they can, by association, have shared similar experiences and become intimate with one another. I will make a helper who is right for him. See, there is a reason that God created and instituted marriage. Simply put, it's because there is great benefit to it. There is something to be gained from being married, a need to be met, and that need at its core is intimacy. Now, I like to think of intimacy as kind of a three-legged stool. In, in order for us to be complete in, the, in, in our lives as individuals, our need for intimacy must be met in three different areas or arenas. The first of those is in the spiritual arena. The second of those is in the arena of our soul. And then the third of those is in the area or the arena of our body. And I kind of see them in order of priority there as well, spirit, soul, and body. But it's important to note that regardless of what order we put them in, they are all interconnected, intertwined with each other. And, and in order for us to have the full and complete intimacy within our marriage relationship, it takes all three. We simply can't have two out of the three and everything be okay. So if one is not where it needs to be, then it's going to throw the others out of whack and everything is going to get off kilter. So we have to have all three. And in order for us to, to have the, the intimacy in marriage that God God designed, all three have to be functioning at a high level. So let's talk about these. The, the first one is spiritual intimacy. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. The first one is spiritual intimacy. And, and this is met through the first building block we talked about a few weeks back of placing Jesus at the center of our relationships and making our pursuit of him our utmost priority. You remember the triangle that I had on the screen? It was, it was a triangle and Jesus was at the top and then husband was at one bottom corner and wife was at the other bottom corner. And the idea was, the illustration was, is that as husbands and wives, as they prioritize and pursue their relationship with Jesus, that the closer they get with him, or to him, the byproduct is that they grow closer together. That is spiritual intimacy within the marriage relationship. That if we put Jesus first, the closer that we get to him, it's only naturally going to bring us closer to our spouse. It's all part of God's design. The, the second area or arena of intimacy is this intimacy of the soul. 
This is met through the second building block that we talked about last week, mutual submission of both the husband and wife to one another. Now, this certainly encompasses the realm of household chores, like who does the laundry, who pays the bills, who cooks dinner, and all of that stuff in terms of the roles within our marriage, but it goes so far beyond that. Practically, this plays out in the marriage relationship in both face-to-face and side-by-side interactions. And if we were going to categorize them, we would, we would uh, say that the intimacy of the soul, that it falls into one of three primary categories. Now, there may be some subcategories here, but this is just big picture kind of stuff. All right, the first one of these is recreational intimacy. All right, so this falls under intimacy of the soul. And and recreational intimacy is is a shared experience. It's something that we experience with our spouse in a side-to-side, side-by-side manner. This this can be anything from like the mundane of cleaning the house or doing the yard work to the exciting like going on a date or taking in a movie or going on a cruise, you know, you name it. Or maybe you think that doing the laundry and, and yard work, maybe that's exciting for you. And if it is, we'll pray for you later. <laughs> but regardless of the situation, the key here is that we are simply enjoying being with our spouse and we're taking the advantage, taking advantage of those opportunities in the mundane or in the exciting to learn, laugh, and experience life together. It's relational intimacy. The second, uh, the second category that falls under intimacy of the soul is intellectual intimacy. This is, this is intimacy that is had face-to-face, where recreational was side-by-side. This is face-to-face. This kind of intimacy takes place when we discuss particular issues with our spouse. It could be anything from balancing the family budget to politics, to sharing our hopes and dreams. I mean, it can, it can run the full gamut of all of those things and everything in between. And as we do this with our spouse, over time, we begin to discover their likes, their dislikes, their values, their ideals, and that further strengthens our connection with them. So it's recreational intimacy side by side. It is intellectual intimacy face to face. And the third piece of this is emotional intimacy. And this can be had both side by side and face to face. This third area, emotional intimacy, is often a a byproduct, um, a combination of and a byproduct of the first two underneath the intimacy of the soul. It takes place over time as the shared experiences that we have with our spouse continue to shape and mold who we are as individuals. And then that spills over into the development of what we value and and the ideals that we have. This is the area of our relationship that it takes place below the surface in both spoken and unspoken ways in which we begin to reveal our true selves, both the good and the bad, to our spouse, all right? Everybody with me so far? Okay, so there is intimacy of the spirit, spiritual intimacy. There's intimacy of the soul that is found in the three categories of recreational, intellectual, and emotional intimacy. And those happen side by side and face to face. And then the third and final area is where I'd like for us to spend the remainder of our time today. And that is intimacy of the body or what we would call physical intimacy. 
intimacy. Most notably, that of our sexual relationship with our spouse. And where as uh, uh, intimacy of the soul was had side by side and face to face, this physical intimacy is shared belly button to belly button. Okay? You guys tracking me? I'm just trying to paint a clear picture for everyone this morning so that we all know exactly what we are talking about here. Now, regardless of how we feel about this subject and whether or not we are comfortable talking about it openly, like in our homes or say, you know, up on a stage in front of, you know, a a hundred or so of your closest friends (laughs) with your teenage son in the front row right in front of you. (laughs) Regardless of all of that, Sex is a major component of the building blocks that make for a healthy, God-honoring marriage. And some of you here today, maybe you're watching online with us, you might be wondering, are we allowed to talk about sex in church? And my short answer to that is, well, the Bible talks about it, right? And so if, if as far as I'm concerned, anything that, that God felt important enough to put in the Bible is fair game for us to talk about in church. And so I'll even take it a step further. Not only do I think that this is a subject that we should talk about in church, I think it's a subject that we don't talk about nearly enough. In fact, I believe that at least part of the reason that our society and our culture is so messed up when it comes to sex is because for the longest time, the church did not assert itself and step forward and communicate in the way that it needed to, the way that it was supposed to about sex. And they swept it under the rug or they pushed it to the side and because it was an uncomfortable topic, they decided to skip over it but we're not going to be that church. We're not going to let that perpetuate because we're going to talk about it. If there's an issue that the Bible addresses, just because it's difficult doesn't mean we're going to push it to the side. This is going to be the church and I am going to be the pastor that we are going to address difficult and uncomfortable issues together and figure out what God's word has to say about them. Because if God's word makes them important, then they should be important to us. And here's the deal. Satan is talking about sex loud and clear outside the four walls of this building. And so you better believe that we are going to talk about it inside these four walls. When it comes to intimacy between husband and wife, sex is a big deal. But somewhere along the line, we started thinking that it wasn't such a big deal after all. And we went and we got things out of order by beginning to pursue sexual intimacy first rather than pursuing Christ first in our life and submitting ourselves to our spouse within the boundary of holy matrimony. We took on this belief that since sex feels good to us, that it would only make sense that a loving God would want us to enjoy the things that make us feel good. And we went and got things out of order. And not only that, we now live in a world, we are, we are bombarded by our culture and our society that not only believes that this kind of lifestyle is okay, but it puts pressure on us, on our young people, on those of us that aren't married. It puts pressure on us to behave in this manner. And, and, What's what's more than that is if we choose not to do that, then somehow we have become the ones with the problem, that there's something wrong with us. 
See, instead of putting God first, what's happened is, is we've started putting sex first. We began to make sexual fulfillment the goal, and we tried to, tried to put the label of intimacy on it. But here's the truth. Sex outside of marriage is not intimacy. Sex outside of marriage is strictly intercourse, and we cannot get the two confused. Sex without a marriage lacks intimacy in the same way that marriage without sex lacks intimacy. You simply cannot have one without the other. It's impossible. And Paul addresses this in his first letter to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's pick up with verse 1. Paul writes, now I will discuss the things you wrote me about. All right, so let's stop right there. It is clear that the people in, in, in Corinth, they had some questions. And so they've sent Paul a letter to ask him some questions. And it is, is it this, this part of, of his letter back to them that he is beginning to answer some of those questions. And so, so um, it's important to note that, that some of the questions that they had were obviously on these big kind of uncomfortable taboo subjects. And so you need to know that it is a biblical, um, it, it is a biblical approach that if you don't know something, if you don't understand something, regardless of how big it is, regardless of how uncomfortable it is, regardless of how taboo it is, you need to ask those questions, all right? Anything in the realm of sex or otherwise, kids, you need to go to your parents and you need to ask them questions. Don't be learning, out, learning things from your little raggedy friends at school. They don't know nothing. Don't be putting your faith and your trust in, in, in some kid. No, that's stupid, all right? Go to the source, all right, you want to you want to find out about sex? Go to your parents because it was them having sex that is the reason that you're here. All right, so they'll be able to answer those questions the way that they need to be answered. So if you have questions about something, that goes for you adults too. If anybody has any questions, we we'll have a table out front. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But if there's something that we don't know, we need to find somebody who is in the know, who's living a godly life, and we need someone that we can trust. We need to go to them and say, hey, can you help explain this to me? And that's what the Corinthians are doing to Paul. They, they see him and, and they say, hey, we've got some questions about some stuff that's going on that we don't understand. And so they've written to him, and so he's merely answering their questions here. Now, I will discuss the things you wrote me about. Paul starts out, he says, it is good for man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And all the men read that and they thought, this Paul guy is a jerk. I have blacklisted him. What is this guy talking about? But before you get all upset, you need to understand that culturally, there were some people in this culture that they had decided to choose celibacy or abstinence um, for a variety of reasons, most notably among them for, um, for the pursuit of religious gain, all right? So they had said, I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to have um, a marriage relationship. I'm not going to engage in sexual activity and everything so that I can focus my life on God or in some other way. And Paul is simply saying, hey, if this is what you've chosen to do, this is okay. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's all that he's talking about. Is if you've chosen to live that lifestyle, it is okay. Verse two, but, and now all the men are like, thank goodness there's a but. <laughs> Woo! 
But because sexual sin is a danger, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Now, what's happening is, is that in the church, there's just people having sexual relationships with everyone and, 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 and they're swapping partners and, and everything and, and, and they're seeing this and the, the, the leaders in Corinth are realizing that this is an issue. And so they're addressing this to Paul and saying, Paul, help us, like give us some clarity here. And he's saying, no, how it's designed, how it's meant to be is that that every man is supposed to have his own wife and every woman is supposed to have her own husband. And that's how this thing works, that you pair off and that, that it, is, it is marriage and it is for life and that's by God's design, man and woman together. That is the definition of marriage, by the way. Man and woman together for life. That's how this thing works. Verse three, the husband should give his wife all that he owes her as his wife. And the wife should give her husband all that she owes him as her husband. The wife does not have full rights over her own body. Her husband shares them. And the husband does not have full rights over his own body. His wife shares them. Do not refuse to give your bodies to each other. And everyone said, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Do not refuse to give your bodies to each other unless you both agree to stay away from sexual relations for, for a time so that you can give your time to prayer. Now, hold on just one second. If you're having so much sex with your wife or your husband that it is impeding your prayer time, like it is, it is encroaching on your time of prayer, I want you to meet me after service because I need to find out your secrets. Okay? What Paul is saying, though, for real... He's saying that it's okay that for a time you would say, hey, we, we need to separate ourselves because there, there's a greater purpose at work here. And so we need to focus in on what, what God is leading us to, but, but just for a time. Because then he says in, in, the, in the close of, of verse 5, he says, then come together again so Satan cannot tempt you because of a lack of self-control. I say this to give you permission to stay away from sexual relations for a time, but it is not a command to do so. It is not a command to do so. I wish that everyone were like me, Paul is saying, but each person has his own gift from God. One has one gift and another has another gift. Now, Paul is saying that, that he has the gift of celibacy, that he has separated himself. And, and it is from this verse that, that it is very clear that Paul and I have very different definitions of the word gift. But Paul has chosen this kind of lifestyle for himself. And he's saying, this is my gift from the Lord that I would abstain, that I would separate myself from this so that I can be about the call of God that is on my life. But this gift is not one that is necessarily given to everybody. And it's certainly not one that many of us pray for. Lord, please, if you give me anything, no, like that's not what we're doing. But Paul is saying this is a gift, and if, if it is your gift, you need to exercise it properly. But if it's not your gift, that is okay. Verse 8, now for those of us who are not married and for the widows, I say this, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. It is better to marry than to burn with sexual 
desire. Now, a lot of people have utilized that one thing as an excuse to get married. And please, please understand that, yes, that is a portion of the marriage relationship. Sexual, uh, sexual intercourse, sexual relationship, sexual intimacy, that is a portion of the marriage relationship. But do not view this one message, this standalone, uh, stand as separated from the, the previous two messages that I preach. Because we cannot have one without the others. They are all interconnected. So it's important to know that, that the reason to get married is not just so we can engage in sexual intercourse underneath God's plan and design. There's, there's something much bigger at play here. And we have to have all of these things in order and in their proper place to live and to have the kind of marriage that God has designed for us. Amen? Okay. So with that said, now let's, let's, let's look at a few takeaways from this particular passage of Scripture. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, a healthy sex life within the context of marriage. That's important. Within the context of marriage, a healthy sex life within the context of marriage allows us to honor God's plan for the marriage relationship. Genesis 2.24, we read, So a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one body. Now, the only way for two to become one body is through the act of sexual relations. When we enter into a marriage, husband and wife together, we forfeit the sole rights that we have over our own bodies and we submit them to be shared with our spouse. So to withhold our bodies from our spouse would be in direct contrast with God's design for our marriage. And so that means that when we engage in sexual relations with our spouse inside the boundary of marriage, we actually honor God with our marriage. We give the devil a big black eye every single time. Because when we engage in sexual relations with our spouse, we honor God and, and the devil does not want us to honor God. So you want to stick it to the devil? Married couples? I'm just saying. Fill that nursery. Church growth at its finest. A healthy sex life within the context of marriage allows us to honor God's plan for the marriage relationship. Number one. Number two, a healthy sex life within the context of marriage keeps us from sin and temptation outside of it. A healthy sex life within the context of marriage keeps us from sin and temptation outside of it. Paul mentions this multiple times in this passage that we read for today. And the truth is, when we aren't fulfilled sexually within our marriage, the devil will use that as a means to drive a wedge between us and our spouse. 
This can often lead to things like pornography, and this is not just a man problem. This is a human problem, both men and women. It can lead to to addictions to pornography. It can lead to prostitution. We've recently seen that um, come to to light in the news, in in the realm of professional sports, with some things that are going on in our society and our culture today. It can can lead to extramarital affairs. All of these things can become issues and and other things like them. And, And this happens happens because it it turns our focus outside of our marriage instead of inside. When we aren't fulfilled sexually within our marriage, the devil will all of a sudden cause us to focus on things outside of our marriage and say, hey, there's fulfillment over there. And that's where we get into trouble. See, when, when we engage in sexual relations with our spouse on a regular basis, on a consistent level, It helps our spouse to focus their attentions inward rather than outward. If their needs are being met inside of the marriage relationship, then there becomes no reason for them to look outside of it for fulfillment. You guys get what I'm saying? Does that make sense to everybody this morning? If we can come together as husband and wife and be sure that each other's needs are taken care of within the boundary of our marriage, there will be no reason for your spouse to look outside for something that they're not getting in here, all right? So a healthy sex life within the context of marriage keeps us from sin and temptation outside of it. That was number two. The third thing, a healthy sex life within the context of marriage allows us to close the circle of intimacy and have our needs fulfilled. Simply put, sex allows us to give ourselves to our spouse, It's actually not about us. It's about them. And by making it about them, by making it about the other person, both spouses end up having their needs met. Sex requires the highest level of both vulnerability and trust. And this is what makes intimacy possible. Since we share in this level of vulnerability and trust with them and them alone. With them and them alone. I feel like I need to say that one more time. We share that with them and them alone. And as we do that, it opens the door for vulnerability and trust to be shared in other aspects of the marriage relationship as well. All right? As we engage in sexual relations with our spouse, it creates, since that requires the highest level of vulnerability and trust, as we do that, that same vulnerability and trust will spill over into all of the other areas of our marriage relationship as well. Sex is the linchpin of our marriage relationship because it is what differentiates that relationship with all other relationships. That's within your marriage is the only place that that should be happening. It's the only place that sex should be happening is between you and your spouse within your marriage relationship. That's it. It's what sets it apart. It's what makes it different. And it's supposed to be different. And God initiated it that way. 
to make it something that is foundational for your relationship with your spouse. Married couples, your children, parents, your children, they are not foundational to your marriage. They're just a byproduct of it. Your job is not a foundational component of your marriage. Paying the bills is not a foundational part of your marriage. Watching the game on TV is not a foundational piece of your marriage. But sex, in reference to your marriage, is 100% foundational. It's what separates your relationship with your spouse from all others. And as such, husbands, wives, we need to prioritize it. We need to prioritize it. And the first part of making it a priority is for us to remember, as I mentioned earlier, that it's not about you. It's not about having your needs met and about you being satisfied, but rather it's about you ministering to your spouse and helping to meet their needs first. And if you will do that, if we will make that commitment, there is mutual benefit and fulfillment to be had, but it requires, one, the right attitude, and two, the right approach. So practically speaking, let's break each of these down. Number one, you got to have the right attitude. Wives, when your husband mentions sex to you, do you roll your eyes? Do you huff? That's what we call it at our house. I don't know what you call it at your house, but (sighs) you do that. We call that a huff. Do you huff? Do you shut him down regularly? Is it constantly no, no, no? And you're like making up excuses. You know, I got to wash my hair. I got to get the tires rotated. I've got to have 12 root canals. Like, I don't like. You need to remember, wives, that when your husband wants sex, he wants you. That's really what it boils down to. Stop looking at it as he just wants sex. No, he wants you. It's a subtle shift in our attitude that can go such a long way. When your husband, wives, when your husband wants to have sex, he wants you. He's choosing you. Hopefully that makes you feel good. Husbands, our attitude shift is this. We need to remember that men are like microwaves and women are like crockpots. Just because, men, just because you can be ready for sex in the time it takes to nuke a hot pocket (laughs) does not mean that she can be. So for the love of all that is sacred and holy, just slow down. (laughs) Enjoy the process. Focus on making it about her. Take your time, and I promise it will benefit both of you. All right? Just slow down. It's all about having the right attitude. And once we get the right attitude squared away, that spills over then. Once we have the right attitude about sex, then we have to make the right approach. All right, I'm going to help some people here this morning. Husbands, I'm getting ready to help 
you, if you haven't taken notes already, write this down. If you didn't write anything else down, just write this down. Husbands, we need to learn that sex does not start in the bedroom. I don't care what you say, it just doesn't. Sex does not start in the bedroom. Sex starts in the kitchen and it looks a whole lot like doing dishes. It also looks like, I figured I'd get, I got one, one amen from, from a wife. I figured I'd get a whole lot more. Not only does it look like doing the dishes, it looks a whole lot like folding the laundry and dusting and vacuuming and all of those things. That's what it looks like. So here's an idea. You can just take this for free, okay? Send your wife out to Starbucks with her favorite book or, or send her to the spa or the nail salon or whatever. And while she's gone, you and the kids get together and, and clean the house top to bottom and put away the laundry and everything and order some takeout and then get out like your fancy plates and put the takeout on those fancy plates and just pretend like you cooked it. <laughs> and when she comes in, you can have like a dish rag and be like wiping your brow, you know, like you've been slaving over whatever it is. And then, and then when she gets back home, meet her at the door with a glass of water and two Tylenol. And when she says, what's this for? I don't have a headache. Alexa, play Let's Get It On. <laughs> and then that's where you say, kids, it's time for y'all to go outside and play. And they're going to say, but dad, it's raining. And you're going to say, well, you better take an umbrella then. And they're going to say, but dad, it's also dark. And you're going to say, well, then you better take a flashlight too. All right? Put her first and see what happens. It'll make all the difference. It'll make all the difference. But now wives, I can't just let you off the hook. Because there's a temptation here for you to abuse these efforts. Okay, you can't do that. Your husband can't be the one doing all the work and jumping through all the hoops constantly and everything in order to earn your affection and everything. You've got to accept some of the responsibility yourself. He needs you to initiate sex from time to time. All right? Now, it's easy for men. We don't need flowers. We don't need candles. We don't care if the dishes are done. They can be stacked to the ceiling in the sink and it will not matter. We don't care if the laundry is folded, put away, laying all over the floor, swinging on the ceiling fan. It does not matter to us. We only need two things from you. Number one, show up. Number two, get naked. That's it. That's all we need. And if you will do that, I guarantee your marriage will be better for it. If we will take the time to have both the right attitude and the right approach, it will make all the difference. It's as simple as that. Because we can have every other aspect of our marriage in place, but without sex, our marriage will lack the intimacy that God designed. It's not the only part of the marriage, but it is a significant part. And it is intertwined and connected with the other aspects of intimacy within the marriage relationship. Now, I don't want to dumb things down. I'm not trying to oversimplify things because there's, there's certainly a lot more at play within our marriage relationships than just the three things that we've talked about these past three weeks. 
But I do believe that if you and I, husbands and wives, if we will implement these three building blocks that we've talked about in this series, that our marriages um, will, will be headed down the road towards where God wants them to be, towards where we would like them to be. As husbands and wives, if we will make a commitment to put Jesus Christ first, if we will make a commitment to submit to one another mutually, and if we will make a commitment together to prioritize sexual intimacy, then our marriage will begin to transform into the one that we've always dreamed of. And that's what I want for you. Because I know that when marriages win, the church wins. And when the church wins, the community wins. And so if we can make marriages better, if we can make marriages healthier, if we can strengthen our marriages, then everybody gets to benefit off of that. Imagine the marriage you've always wanted. It's within reach. It's within reach if you will do the right things, get the right things in the right order, in the right place, put the building blocks where they need to be. You and I, we can have the marriage that we've always wanted. We don't just want to leave you hanging. We want to give you some resources to help you do this. And so you can go to thechristwalk.com slash marriage. And there, there are some, some Bible reading plans for you to do with your spouse. There's some books um, that, that focus on the topic of various aspects of marriage enrichment. There's some date night ideas all the way from free stuff that you can do inside the house after the kids go to bed. Um, maybe you can implement some of the things we've talked about today. I don't know, just throwing that out there. All the way up to like big expensive, you know, outings and everything, but just some stuff to, to, um, to generate some creativity in your relationship with your spouse. And then finally, for those of you that have kids, on March 15th, um, we're having a parents' night out here at the church. You can go to, um, you, you can go to that website, thechristwalk.com slash marriage. There's a link for you to click to go and register your kids, register your family. Three hours without your kids so that you can put some of these, um, uh, put some of these things in, in place in your marriage and go have a date night and just spend time with one another. Because we know how important that is. And so we want to put our money where our mouth is. It's super cost effective, $5 a kid. It caps out at 15 bucks a family. So super, super affordable for you to be able to do that. And then just go take a walk on the beach or go to dinner, or go see a movie or whatever, and begin to lay out the groundwork to strengthen your marriage. All right. So I want you to be sure and take advantage of that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much Lord, that we can talk so candidly about difficult things. God, I thank you for what you're doing in and through this church. I thank you for what you're doing in and through um, the marriages. Lord, I thank you for the way that you are speaking to us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen marriages, Lord, that, that husbands and wives, Lord, that they would put you first in everything, God, that, that, that they would understand their roles, that they would submit to one another, Lord, and that they, would, that they would make intimacy a priority in all that they do. And as they do those things in their marriages, Lord, I pray that you would bless them and that you would honor them and that you would help, uh, help our married couples, Lord, to, to see the dreams uh, that they've had for their marriage to become realized. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us today. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. 
For more information about Christ Walk, please visit us at thechristwalk.com.